Welcome back to the Sunday Show. I'm Rodney Cyrus. Thanks for joining and I hope you're well too. Last week the attention was primarily based around the activities on the field of play. The Europa League games were due to begin swiftly followed by the remaining Champions League games. In both competitions the format resembles something of a mini World Cup. For the older viewers and supporters the format reminded them of what football was like before money took over a fully-fledged and true-to-the-core football knockout competition. A duel until the finish, and not what we were accustomed to, or what we've become accustomed to. There would be no, we can get them in the home leg phrase. This was gone. In the Europa League, the games would determine who would make it to the final four. Hosted, all of them, on European soil. Well, it is a European competition. The contenders, Manchester United, Wolves, Sevilla, Copenhagen, Inter Milan, Leverkusen, Basel and Shakhtar Donetsk, that's a mouthful isn't it, would all face one another. For one team the battle was one-sided, Shakhtar Donetsk blowing Basel away by four goals to one. They cruise through to the next round and wait for their next opponent. They would be joined by Inter Milan, Sevilla and Manchester United, each opting to do their level best and going for the victory, but at some cost in terms of their long-term fatigue. These fixtures were played in intense heat and humidity, a factor which could be considered another competitor. One would normally complain about the state of the pitch or the official, but I hazard a guess that the heat would take centre stage on this occasion. Playing competitive football at this point of the year is one thing, but when it's a competition, in terms of when it began, in general it was the previous year, and with players not really having much of a break, or what we call the regular break, it all added to the drama. The heat, no second leg, a true winner takes all shootout. A modern day Western where the antagonists are football players. In terms of Manchester United, they face their toughest opponents now that they're through, Sevilla who are considered serial winners of this competition, being the Europa League. No easy feat, but Manchester United fans believe they are destined to win this competition again. In the other games, Inter Milan face Shakhtar Donetsk, and this will prove to be a very difficult uh, uh, task itself. This game is very difficult to call. Both teams have their strengths and their managers both know the game very well. But out of the two teams, there are a collection of players and a manager who will bear the heavier burden. Inter Milan is that team. Inter Milan with their explosive manager, Antonio Conte, and former Premier League entertainers and four guys will want to prove their doubters wrong. Lukaku, Sanchez and Young having escaped the Old Trafford under the heading of Deadwood Clearout. These players will want to move the elements in heaven and earth to make it to the final and win. There is Ericsson too, having had a far from glowing departure from Tottenham Hotspurs, he will want to see his move end with silverware and prove his doubters wrong. It all makes for a tense affair and one will probably talk about it for some time. Who is your money on? Some will say Inter Milan, but I'm not saying anything just yet. Let's take a look, or should we say, let's take a look at the Champions League, and I'm sure you did. At the start of the week, the usual big hitters were there. Barcelona with their ageing superstar, Lionel Messi. Juventus were there or thereabouts. 
but they didn't make the round, despite having all of the powers contained within their agent superstar, Cristiano Ronaldo, who did go through Bayern, Atalanta, PSG, RC Leipzig, Atletico Madrid, they were all there as well, but not everyone could make it. Manchester City and Lyon would actually pull up some really good football. Would they make the quarterfinals? Would they do their best? A gripping match in terms of what supporters want. These armchair supporters would no doubt be absolutely going mad with what they're going to see, what they what they were about to see, and quite right too. But despite the lack of fans in the stadium, the prestige of the competition would not be dampened down by any comments about the lack of atmosphere. These gladiators don't require viewers with, within the immediate vicinity to make a good battle a great battle. Should the current situation around the coronavirus continue with safety being paramount, there may be the odd occasion where games are still continue to be played behind closed doors. There may be some fans in, it depends on which teams or which clubs or which venues are deemed suitable for trials. Revenue is important, but so is public safety. And public health safety is really, really important, especially when you have the coronavirus to contend with. We are still in the position where football players are the only ones being regularly tested. Not the everyday individual, not your national health worker. No one on the front line is being tested as much as football players. Which moves me away, and a lot of the news away from what we saw at the beginning of the week, to elsewhere. When we see players who are being tested not necessarily following the news, not necessarily following the rules. When we discuss safety measures and football players being tested, they are the fortunate few. They are in a bracket where they are being laden with a certain level of responsibility and obviously um, seen as heroes. But when a certain Celtic player decided to fly to mainland Europe for a day and then fell to quarantine on his return, it resulted in none other than the first minister for Scotland to boot her boot up, or should I say put her boots on, and give out a good old kicking to the shins. Some clubs were deemed as not being sensible or acting in an appropriate way or actually being responsible for their players once they leave the field of play. And this is the question that we have to ask. Are clubs responsible for, in terms of their players, every waking hour of their life? I mean, what do they do once they leave the pitch, once they leave training? Do clubs have a responsibility to monitor their movements? We know already that players' movements on the pitch are tracked. They're used in betting apps, they're used in gaming apps, they're used for statistics, they're used for, in terms of probability further down the line, they're used in terms of their actual health and safety with regards to them being fatigued on the pitch. But should clubs be made to monitor, monitor players' movements beyond the pitch, beyond the walls of the club when they're off duty? Are footballers in this new coronavirus world considered to be employees who never clock off? Their every move tracked and traced, just like the virus, but at a far quicker rate. These are real questions to consider. And while we consider them, we have to understand that football players, even though they are in a very specialist position, 
They are no different to you and I. They are human beings. And just like us, they make mistakes. So in terms of the player, uh, Bolingoli, for Celtic and eight other Aberdeen players were sanctioned for breaking rules in relation to those clubs' efforts to keep the virus at bay. Aberdeen, Aberdeen's eight players are now asked to self-isolate um, and their club has been sanctioned by the SFA and I believe that some of the clubs in Aberdeen have been forced to close for a specific period. This has also resulted in some of the games being postponed. Far too often, as I've already mentioned, we place an enormous amount of pressure on footballers to be extra special off the pitch, to be role models for all we do, and to be flawless. We, as in the public, we expect to hold the sins that we do in the world, and we expect them to be sinless, to be pure, to be special. But fear not, everyone. Footballers are just like everyone else, as I've said, they're just like you and me, and this was bound to happen. We've seen politicians in Scotland and England break lockdown rules, and we, even when they were caught, it wasn't necessarily the cry for them to lose their job, even though one did. And if there was the loss of a job, they weren't held to a higher regard for far too long. And this was during the height of the virus outbreak. We should expect nothing less from football players in terms of them being just like us they are just like us we ask too much of them which goes back to the original question should football clubs track and trace their footballers once they leave the field of play especially now within this period of coronavirus especially now as they are a group a selected group within the population who are always tested surely you would expect the club to have some insight into what they're doing but they are only mortals sporting mortals nonetheless mortals who have been benefited from being tested they should know better or at least should know not to get caught away from the footballers who've done some wrong and failed to follow the rules there is still transfer rumour. Which club dominates it the most? Who do you think it is? None other than Manchester United. Manchester United are still linked to Jadon Sancho and everybody else. Manchester United put down the marker. They will not be moved. Manchester United are shopping in a store which is far too expensive for them and declared to every media outlet available that they would not be bullied. They would not be bullied into buying a player they had talked about non-stop for nearly 10 months, maybe more than 10 months. They will not be bullied, they say. The debate rages on. The will he, the won't he, of course he will. Supporters claiming that he will arrive next week, next month, before the end of the transfer window, every single move is covered and it's just a rumour. And they claim that the club is right not to be bullied, to have this position. But when you step away from this, let's call it a ridiculous scenario for a moment, and transport yourself into a store like me, say John Lewis, or an, any other reputable store that you love. Would you walk into the store, or as I would, John Lewis, and claim 
that despite wanting to purchase the one item that you've seen and cherished for so long that you will not be bullied, you will not be forced to pay that price. The prices are too outrageous. I may be a bit off the mark, but I doubt this strategy will work for you or I should I walk into John Lewis or any other store. They will simply ask me to leave or you to leave and make your way to Aldi or an, any other alternative outlet with caters for my budget. So in terms of Manchester United claiming not to be bullied or not wishing to pay the asking price, it is amazing that you do such a thing. And as my mom would say, put your hat where you can reach it. Do not spend beyond your budget. Do not spend beyond your means. We are in a coronavirus period where people are losing their jobs left, right and centre. The everyday working man. If a club cannot buy the player that they want, they should simply go elsewhere. What I talk about being bullied isn't just about Manchester United. The club elsewhere in the news, there are players who are sought after, not just by Manchester United, but other clubs. Arsenal want to keep a player. There are other players elsewhere who have been bullied and believed or believe that they are being pushed out by their club and individuals within their club. They will not leave. Multi-millionaire footballers are a thing to behold, are they not? But when you find one or two who are at the wrong end of their contract and careers and they claim to be bullied and that they will not move, it does kind of show a different picture. These individuals are not getting any game time. They're not prepared to seek out a new team. They're not prepared to change. They're not prepared to do anything. They keep quiet. They're very, very silent. You have a very strange scenario. It is the football equivalent to the Brexit argument. Maybe three to four years in the making. It's an imaginary scene. Picture this. Individuals at football having this kind of conversation. I hate you. Someone says, I don't care, is the response. I want you gone, is the reply. I'm not leaving anytime soon. Bizarre. In the news, Gareth Bale and Mesut Ozil are refusing to leave their clubs. Gareth Bale refuses, so he says, according to reports in newspapers widely available, to leave Real Madrid this summer and is prepared to wait up to two whole years, which is how long he has left on his contract. He's prepared to sit it out, be paid, be a substitute, play golf, and just stay in Spain. Who can blame him? Good weather, good food, nice lifestyle, such as such is the way of a multi-millionaire footballer. Can you be sad for him? No. Are you upset for him? No. Is he doing the wrong thing? No, not really. But when you look at Mesut Ozil, we don't have the same messages for Mesut Ozil. Gareth Bale is seen as someone who has been picked on. But Mesut Ozil is the one who's saying that he's been bullied. Not everyone is looking at these two situations in the same way or with the same words. They have a very different feel to each player as to what they can offer and what they can do. What happens to football when players just don't care anymore? They are both within their rights to say they stay at the club. That's their right. They have a contract. 
the club gave them a contract? Is it the fault of the clubs? And the decision to pay so much money in terms of salaries? Have these valuable players just simply down tools? This may be too simple to claim from the outside, like myself, I am on the outside. In every club there is, or are players who are nowhere near the manager's thinking. They're not picked, they're not selected, they're never considered by the manager, but they survive by keeping quiet. They keep their counsel, they close their mouths and they never really speak out of turn. They survive. No one really talks about them being bullied. No one talks about them seeking a move. They carry on. But when you're talking about two individuals who are paid a vast amount of money each week, obviously there will be stories to be told and made up. Could the position taken by these two players signal a change in the direction when clubs go to offer long-term contracts to players? Will this result in smaller wages in relation to long-term contracts? Will clubs and their chairman finally take the steps to reduce salaries, considering we're in a coronavirus period, so everyone keeps talking about, to a level where it won't hurt them, the club, financially, if one of their top stars just says, I don't want to play anymore. Only in sport, possibly football, but definitely in sport, could this scenario actually play out. Couldn't work in my field of work, and it definitely couldn't work in your line. As much as I love sport and football, it is sometimes difficult to understand or even agree with what is taking place. Away from this, in terms of men's football, women's football, there's news of what at the end of the week something happened. The long-standing question as to who would replace Phil Neville was answered, but before we actually say the name of who will soon be obeyed, in terms of the England Lionesses. Can you remember the list of candidates to take the job? No? Well, I could just about, but here they are. The list is Nick Cushing, formerly of Manchester City, Jill Ellis, Emma Hayes, Laura Harvey, Joe Montemoro, Sylvia Mead, Bev Priestman, Casey Stoney, and a few others. So many people. Well, none of these were the chosen one. Apparently, it's, it is believed more than 10 people applied. I jest. It was closer to 100 and more. And the lucky candidate is Serena Weigman. The current Dutch head coach has been selected and appointed and will arrive in 2021 to head up the England Lionesses. It has been reported that she is a very good manager with a good back track record, good statistics to date. She is a strong leader. She believes in a certain style of play. And she is also strong on telling players the truth. This could be a good and bad thing, depending on a player's mentality, depending on where a player is in terms of their career. Are they at the beginning of their career? Are they at the end of their career? Are they actually inside? the Lioness camp right now, are they on the verges of being included? What will happen? It will all be interesting to see. But she's not going to be in pulse for some time. So we will have plenty of time to assess Phil Neville's reign as to what went well 
what didn't go well, what should have happened, and what we did and didn't achieve. And while we do that, we will probably propose what Serena Vibram will do, what she should do, who she should include, and what she is meant to do. So much to discuss. It's going to be a very long time. But before we go, as much as I want to run away now and enjoy the rest of the weekend, Champions League, one game hung out in terms of its importance over everything else. Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Lionel Messi and the gang, the crew versus the Bayern machine, moving forward impressively, game by game, ticking over results, getting the wins, getting the praise. Could this be one last chance for Lionel Messi? Could this be the time where, despite failing to win the Liga, that they go on and to actually pull up some silverware? Could this be it? I had no idea as to what would happen. I had a feeling that Bayern was strong. I had a feeling that Bayern would win by two goals to one, maybe three goals to two. I knew there would be goals in this game. Two attacking teams, great players on both sides. Within the first 20 minutes, the, the scoreline could have been 3-3, 4-4. But what I didn't expect was for Bayern Munich to actually slap the hell out of Barcelona. Not only did they slap them in the style in terms of goals, in terms of the amount of time on the ball they slapped them, in terms of their effectiveness in front of goal, their inventiveness, their overall play. If this were a scene from a Marvel film, imagine Hulk slapping Loki around. It was like that. It was bad. Bad, not bad meaning good, but bad meaning bad. Bayern are basically in the lead in terms of winning this competition. Manchester City fell out, slipped up, lost their chance, and Barcelona too have gone. In terms of Manchester City and Barcelona, there are two different questions you have to kind of consider. One, is this a time where Lionel Messi moves on? Is this a time where the hierarchies say that we need a rebuild, we need to start again, we need to change the foundations of the club because whichever manager takes the job, they know they're not going to survive very long. I mean, the current manager, or should I say, the manager who was in post during that game, he looked lost. He looked bereft of ideas. He actually probably would have written his resignation during halftime. Things were that bad. I doubt very much he wanted to do a post-match conference. I didn't listen out for one. There isn't much he could say, and I believe what was said afterwards by some of the players, knowing that things need to change, not just above the team, but within the team, is an indication as to what's happening with regards to that club. We all talk at length about how great Lionel Messi is and about what he's done for Barcelona, but we must remember this. When he arrived as a very young man into a Barcelona team, littered with fantastic players, that had played before, Iniesta, Xavi, Ronaldinho, Deco, Eto, to name but a few. They were the standard mark for superiority. Over time, things have changed. And it may be that those other players that have moved on, they moved on when the time was right for them. It may be 
just may be the time for Lionel Messi to say, my time at Barcelona is up and I need to try something else before I hang my boots up. With regards to Manchester City, could Pep walk away? Could he actually say he's, he's literally achieved as much as he can achieve in Manchester and go somewhere else? Would he be up for going back to Barcelona? But would he go back if Lionel Messi is there? All of these things are in here. It's so much to discuss and consider. The football is great, it's back, and we love it. Anyway, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. This is The Sunday Show, and I'm Robin Cyrus. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, why don't you give it a five-star review? Go on, you know it's worth it. Until next time, bye for now.